provided this message does not get stuck in some kind of subspace relay station. This will be Vija, please, a hateful voyage for the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I am Peter, your co-host. Yes, and I would like to just launch right into the episode this week, my friend. What do you say? Uh, I say let's do it. Season 4, episode 14, Hunters. Uh, it's episode 15. Uh, you are right. We're a terrible podcast review. Uh, yeah, and we are. We are just starting this episode and we are already in the toilet. Good we, job. We've we already fucked things up and we're not even going to edit it and fix it because that's how bad. We... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the uh, the episode this week is a stealth two parter, I guess, is the best way to describe it. It is Our a direct... two parter. Yeah. And it's a direct sequel to what we did last week. Um, Which let's stop and appreciate that for a moment. We've gone from a show that has been so crazy and episodic that they completely forget what happened, you know, major plot developments um, that happened to previous episode to now we've got such strong continuity going on. And it's not only just big overt stuff like uh, the, the plot we're going to discuss here, but like character development specifically along the seven of nine lines. Uh, that it's almost like we're watching a completely different show. Yeah, the, the continuity train is 100% uh, gaining steam and pulling out of the station. And the fact that this was essentially uh, not just a sequel, but also a callback to stuff that we haven't really talked about extensively since season one or the pilot in some cases gives the show that that feeling that I think we have lamented quite a bit about it missing. Um, and I spoiler, I really liked this. I thought it was extremely well written, which considering it's Jerry fucking Taylor who wrote it is all the more astonishing. Uh, and a couple kind of misses on a, on a couple acting beats aside. I think it's uh it's one of those episodes that a fan of this show specifically, and we've kind of become that by necessity since we watch this every week and talk about it for a fucking hour, uh, you learn to really appreciate. Since we're cutting to the end and, and doing our feelings up front, uh, I agree with you. This was everything about this episode was good, except for the alien stuff. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Uh, after you after you broke open the Bane joke last yeah. week, I'm like, I just remember thinking to myself, I can't, I can't, I can't wait, I can't wait until we see these guys again next week. And, and now you've got them for like size comparison and and the whole giant thing there, and the actor's name is Tiny, which I thought was hilarious. But you know, we've had a couple situations now where there have been pretty cool slice of life episodes uh mortal coil with neelix notably coming to mind um and some of the other ones where it's this is life in voyager this is voyager living in the situation of being stranded in the delta quadrant having to turn into a family yearning for contact with uh with loved ones at home and and that is like the backbone of this episode but for some reason, we can't just have a nice internal no threat episode of Star Trek Voyager. There always has to be some 
bad guy out there so you can get a couple phaser fights in with it. And uh, it, it just that's where the episode shits the bed. But that's like maybe 20 percent of the episode. So the rest of it, I think, is very it's easy to forgive that 20 percent and focus on the good stuff. The episode begins with some nice space shots as they kind of zero back in on Voyager as there's a clear uh, transmission that is kind of being sent through the cosmos. They represent it visually, I think somewhat interestingly through that uh, montage. And uh, as they receive it, it becomes more evident. And then eventually Harry is able to fix the signal that it is a message from Starfleet command and that they are sending that message through the exact same communications relay that Voyager just the prior episode sent the doctor through to have a rip roaring adventure and multi-vector assault mode with Andy Dick, <laughs> which just sounds like a, a porno no one would want to watch. Sure enough, uh, they're they're getting something back uh, from home and everyone is extremely hype immediately about it. Did you come up with the episode title for the last episode yet? I have not. Can it be uh, the EMH knows dick? <laughs> Yes, Peter, it can. Uh, you have my solemn vow. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. So hunters. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Back to this one that has less dick in it. I it, thankfully it it's a cool opening. I like the garbled transmission. I like the meandering shots. I like the mystery of what the hell exactly is this? And then the realization that it's it's Starfleet and for something that basic communication from Starfleet it is such a, a another big moment that not only was Voyager able to communicate things to Starfleet, but now Starfleet has gained reach into the Delta Quadrant and Voyager is starting to get plugged back into the big picture. Um, really cool. But uh, there's a snag. Uh, the Herogen Relay, which they have used to pirate the signal out into the Delta Quadrant. One of the relay stations, uh, it's not working so hot. It's <laughs> this is the 90s. So I'm sure, you know, Starfleet's using uh, uh, real, real player. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's buffering you the know, prototype probably... uh, streaming service, real player to get their pirate signal out there. One of these uh, Herogen relay stations which we will later come to find out is old AF. They're like, what, 100,000 years old, I think. Yeah, we'll get to that. It's kind of one of my favorite tropes, but you bring up real player. It reminds me, maybe Sarah like Silverman. Some of, <laughs> maybe some of our uh, listeners can remember. Do you ever try and download porn that was on a real player file? It's always a trap. It was always a trap. It was never worth the effort getting trying to get that shit to work. But anyway, you know, this is some shit that, that the youths just will never understand. Gosh, if, like the if we were a different, you know, maybe I'll save it all for our special podcast where we review the, the Star Trek porn <laughs> parody, which thank yeah. you everybody who voted at home for giving me what I wanted for Christmas. And that is a reason to watch the Star Trek porn, uh, you know, professionally speaking, uh, I'll, I'll save all my dirty <laughs> porn thoughts for that, but streaming. Yeah. Streaming. I mean, that's, that's probably our best opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'll save all that stuff, but one of these Herogen relay stations, it, 
it, it's only got 16 megabytes of RAM. It, it can't handle the load. <laughs> and the the pirated Federation signal gets caught up in the buffer there. So uh, Voyager makes the decision that they are going to fly out to this particular relay station and try to extract the rest of the ma- message close range. So we do see a quick scene of the Hurrogen themselves having uh, detected the signal and wanting to pursue the ship that is uh, getting it. And that's, of course, uh, where we see uh, the Delta Quadrant equivalent of Discount Bane's The Race really uh, show themselves on camera. Um, as you said, uh, your your exact phrasing, I believe, was... Uh, You've adapted to the Delta Quadrant. We were born in it. Yeah. I kind of sound I kind of sound like the aliens from uh uh Aqua Teen Hunger Force there. The Moonanites. Yes, the Moonanites. Oh from God the is a god of vengeance. He's a wolf. No, a wolf. He's I, a wolf and... I, I have a belt that helps me channel the powers of the supergroup fauna. I don't need no instructions I... to know how to rock. Uh I love Aqua Teen, by the way. <laughs> so these Hiroja, man, they are, as we're joking around, they're like a mashup between Bane and reptile from the newer mortal Kombat games visually speaking <laughs> and i i start writing in my notes uh bootleg predators and then i'm watching the rest of the scene and it's like yeah they look kind of corny and hokey but you know what at least the i i respect voyager for trying something different we've we've gone on and harped so hard about shitheads the shithead you know base template of the Delta Quadrant, where it is a regular human with some salami pasted in your hair and maybe a little bit of shit on the bridge of your nose. And now we're going to call that an alien species, if not flat out, you know, a uh, a, a basic human with no discernible uh, different features. So we haven't really seen a super alien looking race since maybe the boneheads from um the warp core ejection bad day at work episode. And then before that, I would probably say the dinosaur people. I would say that the Nicholas cage, uh, friendly aliens from year of hell were cool. They had a neat look to them. Yeah. Like the real friendly guys who showed up like before the Kremen got cool again. And were like, yeah, the the Zafta or something. I think they were called. Yeah. The, the Frank Zappas. Yeah. But they didn't look, really they had that, a cool look to them they had a cool look but they weren't radically different and that's you know these guys yeah they're still humanoids two legs two arms some fingers but it's it's a striking style it's not something we've seen out of voyager before yeah they are obviously supposed to look like predators kind of with their bane masks on but i respect them for trying and i appreciate just something different and not more of the same yeah, and it's not exactly Zoobly Zoo. You oh, know, God. You know what? I put that so far behind me, and here you are dragging it back out, Joe. The the cool thing about the Herogen are they, they do a good job of developing them bit by bit, and there's like pieces that are in this episode that come out later, but the thing about them is that they're they're super obsessed with hunting and they used they used to have a really complex civilization and now they don't okay Th- that is very interesting to me cuz what this episode 
And again, the Herojin are the worst part of the episode. But while they're there, I'm like, man, how do they have such sweet ass old super ancient technology? We find out that they're harnessing uh, black holes to power these things. And now they're just flying around the galaxy doing this bad predator stick where they're throwing spinal cords up into cargo nets and, and calling it a day. Yeah, the the backstory for the Herojin are that, you know, this this ancient version of themselves had all of this like incredible technology and it's kind of like this Warhammer 40k feel to it that they've forgotten how to like do anything with it because now they're like just super obsessed with hunting all the time. More of it will come out through the show, but uh, they improve is what I'm saying. They, they end up using them, I think in an interesting way. And um, uh, I do like also, I will give props for one thing and that is they wanted to portray them as physically superimposing. So they purposefully hired like seven foot tall actors and then put them in platform boots. So then when we see them like compared to Tuvok and seven of nine later, and they're like towering over them, that's not like a digital effect. That's giant dudes towering over the other people in the scene, which you know what? Respect. You wanted to do it and you went for it. And so that's why it actually looked correctly. It's kind of in going back to the dinosaur people, the the Vogoth, was that what they were called? But whatever, oh, the fucking the Did... the one and done dinosaur people. Right. Uh, which I guess actually had a really big part in some Star Trek online. Um, did, did you did we talk about that at all? No. So uh, Star Trek online apparently ran a plot hook where those dudes do come back to Earth and are like, hey, this is ours and there's like a fight or something which is exactly what i said uh chakotay was laying the groundwork for when he was like (laughs) you guys are superior um but i thought like hey man if if there's ever time to showcase a size difference between like how big aliens can be it would be fucking dinosaur people and they didn't and it sucked and yeah again seeing some dudes that aren't just you know maybe six feet tall at the most uh was was very refreshing so the premise of the episode from this point forward largely centers not on dealing with the Herogen, as we have alluded to, but the very real uh, tension and hopes and dreams and uh, emotional roller coaster that the crew goes through as they gather this transmission that comes from from uh, Starfleet and uh, what they quickly determine is that the message that has been sent by Starfleet is uh, letters from home. You know, they, they talk about like, maybe it's a directions to a, you know, stable wormhole. Maybe it's like a brand new way to, to traverse. And there is a suggestion that there's an encrypted piece of the transmission that is, from Starfleet command has some, maybe some maps and some other message in it. Uh, but they focus in on the fact that these are apparently letters that the loved ones, friends and family of the Voyager crew has sent them. And it's a huge moment, of course, because this is their first opportunity after going on four years of wandering the Delta quadrant 
evading certain death at least once of pay period that they have the opportunity to hear from you know the people closest to them that probably until very recently thought that they were dead it's a cool payoff for a lot of storylines that we've had pushed at us repeatedly uh notably Janeway and her fiance Mark who I think the last time that he was really featured prominently was uh the goddamn Q episode persistence of vision yeah well what? no he yeah he, the last time we saw Janeway's fiance on screen was persistence of vision which was like season one and it was she was dealing with the like seeing shit and it was the episode yeah, where like yeah, every yeah. other one else has this like dream sequence like terror fuck town but but in the q and the gray specifically no yeah q and the gray was the one where q tries to bang uh uh jane win and, and mark does get featured heavily by name i, I don't mean on screen i mean just you know heavy reference to them on screen that, that's true yeah q does talk about him that is Accurate. And of course, you know, uh, the ever willing Chakotay who's standing in the sidelines waiting to catch a piece of Janeway where he picks right back up on that again in this episode, much to my chagrin. Um, oh, he is so thirsty, dude. I ever like, oh, man, from the moment he she he f- finds out that she got a fucking dear John letter. He's like, oh, how, hey, Kathy, how do you feel about that? Mm hmm. I guess you don't have the excuse anymore that you can't be involved in anybody anymore, huh? Mm. <laughs> no monkey to save you now. Remember, I made you a headboard. <laughs> a hot tub. A hot tub. He made her a hot tub. Yeah. I but I'm convinced that they took it to Bone Town. That it did just they were there for too long, man. After the monkey eventually could not get in the way. But uh, yeah. there has always been. And, and Jane will admit it towards the, the later half of the episode. Uh, and, and so, you know, to cover this plot in its entirety, it Janeway got her letter. Uh, Mark, her old fiance, has moved on and is now married to a co-worker and happily ever after. And according to Janeway, he's he's there's a, a there's a, a finality to the letter uh, that she does not expect she'll be hearing from Mark again. And it hurts, you know, because you start putting hopes and dreams and reconnecting with this person. They're just like, hey, glad to hear you're alive. Uh, the the end. Um, but as she will admit, having Mark there as an excuse has been a strong crutch for her to play the um, the removed leader to not really allow any of the opportunities to enjoy herself, to cloud her judgment and, and, and play this hard line, you know, with the exception of Vlad Goldblum and the Skeevians who held her like putty in his hands while he <laughs> jerked the entire <laughs> crew around. Um, she has, yeah, she has consistently shut people down and, and held true to her commitment to Mark. And now that has been thrown in the mud and backed over. I, it, that scene where she's talking about the fact she got this dear John letter is one of several that I felt really elevated the episode because the, the subtlety of how it all kind of came out in the conversation, which is, as you said, like Janeway gets the impression like, nah, he's just, he's kissing me off on this letter. Like he sent a letter all the way to the Delta quadrant to tell me, Hey, you know, I'm glad you're alive, but I didn't wait for you. And this is, you know, I'm probably not going to be writing you again. And I also want to credit Mulgrew 
her delivery in in this scene is good. Yeah, you've talked before about she really shines in this melodrama, um, soap opera stuff, and and I wouldn't say it's quite that level of camp. But this is a really powerful delivery by her, and it was really easy to relate to, and I really enjoyed her performance. It's those close emotional moments. She's a soap opera actor, Ryan's Hope, right? I've said it a million times, and and when she can get away from the sci-fi element crowding her performance, she obviously can just kind of get into that authentic space. She has the most comfort, and she changes as an actress and is able to do more in that space when that happens. Not to say that she can't like lay down the law with other stuff that's a little bit more sci-fi-y or Star Trek-y, but there's a, there's a comfort in her performance when she's talking about something like, my fiancé left me for another woman. <laughs> you know? Like, that's that's easy to get into where is my character at with that right yeah and she does a good job with that another thing that comes up in the letters that is a a huge continuity point which probably came as a surprise to you because you've never watched ds9 is that chakotay gets a letter and that letter has bad news in it as well this and let's take a step back. This is a hard episode to talk about because it's a good episode. There's not a an A plot of of a series of events progression. It's it's a bunch of little different stories happening and then also a zany alien kidnapping. So that's why we're kind of bouncing around all over the place. But Chakotay's letter knocked me on my ass. I did not see this coming at all. And I was like, holy shit, because his letter is from basically his old Maquis recruiter telling him that some shit went down. The Cardassians buddied up with this new big deal threat, which is, of course, the Dominion, and that they have wiped the Maquis off of the map in their entirety. This this was a big deal in DS9. Uh, you know, the Cardassians joined the Dominion and like the first thing that Gul Dukat did was he wanted to make Cardassia great again and he was going to make the Maquis pay for it. And sure enough, in a matter of three days, he like rolls in hot with the Jem'Hadar and kills every member of the Maquis. All of them. And, you know, obviously that becomes a, a big emotional thing in DS9 or some episodes about how the Maquis meet their end in that show. Uh, but and there's no reason for the Voyager uh, cadre to know anything about that. But they remark later on this show that as a consequence, this is legit. Voyager has on its ship the most surviving members of the Maquis in the galaxy. That's how complete their murder was. It's crazy. It, it, I, and it's a cool opportunity for the Star Trek universe to affect itself uh, and even stuff over in the Alpha Quadrant to to have an impact on this. And I thought that um, so when when he finds out he's stunned and then he goes and he tells uh, Torres and Torres has this big emotional meltdown uh, and anger and she kind of goes through the stages of grief because these are the, their friends like. Everybody's sitting around waiting for these letters from home. And we've talked about before, like, you know, if you're Starfleet, your Federation, you're well adjusted. 
people don't just join the Maquis because it seems like it's something fun to do unless you're a fucking lunatic like Lon Suter and you're just looking for an opportunity <laughs> to kill people, to murder people in the 24th century. Uh, everybody right. else. Is- it's mostly guys. It's like guys like uh, Dolby. Dolby, you know, like, yeah, I, I hate the Cardassians because they raped and murdered my wife. So let's go kill them. I've like, never really. I got I got beef. I got reasons. I've never really fit in anywhere. Uh, you know, this is my gang. I feel like this is part of my family. I'm committing my life to like, it's a big fucking deal, uh, to find out that this close network of, of, of people that you had identified with have been wiped out. So Roxanne Dawson, I think even better than, uh, Kate Mulgrew in this really steps up to the acting plate. And, uh, this scene specifically where she flips out super good. Um, I looked. I felt like she held back a little bit just because, because she, she was very pregnant, and I felt like maybe like she there was an extra gear she could have gotten into with her anchor. Uh, but she did it. She did a. She did a decent job. I will say if that. she was quite full Klingon, I said that there would. I would say that there could have been an extra gear. I think that the, the her failure to take it to another level was the human part of her grounding her through the experience, and and that there was more hurt than rage in even that moment um it was it was a deep scene it was a rich scene it was a great interaction between um chakotay and balana and it was also a reminder that there is a crew within the crew that even though they're all wearing star trek i'm sorry starfleet uniforms there is still this maquis command structure that is there and that when she starts getting like all wound up and I want to kill people, I want to do this. And it's like, fuck, man, like we haven't seen this ugly terrorist maquis angle in a long time. But, yep, it's there. And and what is this capable of doing? Like when you start getting close and this is also a reminder that Voyager didn't just, uh, you know, it wasn't out on a, a deep space exploration mission when this happened, like the Maquis were supposed to be getting apprehended and brought in for crimes against the Federation and uh, it's, it's, it's mission, not its mission, but you know, it's agreements with Cardassia. You've now contacted home base. What exactly have they shared with them? Obviously I'm sure they didn't fucking tell uh, Starfleet that uh, Janeway murdered two Vikes, but <laughs> probably left that out you know was part of the report like hey by the way like a ton of crew members died during the caretaker incident including uh roga dinar our first no roga dinar was the what doctor he was the doctor roga dinar was the doctor all these yeah. all these white guys died <laughs> on the uh the trip out here we've had to replace them with space terrorists you know how starfleet gonna feel about that and i think the memory alpha actually touches on uh I wasn't sure if it was cut scenes or just speculation that one of the messages that didn't ever end up getting decrypted was an order from Starfleet that all the uh, the Maquis should be put in the brig for the rest of the trip back. But um, how interesting would that have been if that order was on the table? You're, you're Janeway. There's no way in hell she's going to put those people in the brig. She can't afford to put those people in the brig. That's That's why she integrated the crew in the first place. And now... You're kind of relying on Starfleet to get you home while working an open defiance of direct orders like that. That would have been a pretty rich story to tell. But 
the destruction of the Maquis was huge, and I really enjoyed all of that. Yeah, same. Uh, some other some other uh, notes on, on this part of the plot, and it's more, I think, useful just to kind of like talk about each character's journey than doing it on a chronological basis. Uh, Tuvok gets a letter. Uh, it's kind of like an opportunity for him to like play against uh, uh, Neelix about his Vulcanness. We find out he's a grandfather. <laughs> his oldest son has gotten married and and had a kid. Uh, he, it it's an interesting like you know he come, he gets a real cool Vulcan moment where. You know, Neelix is like, oh, you should read it right away. You know, why aren't you going to read it? And he's like, do you think that the content of the message is going to change between when I'm done doing my job and, you know, when I get to read it? Pretty sure it's going to be the same. You know, it's very Vulcan attitude. Uh, but ultimately, you kind of see him when he's finally alone, stop working and, and reading the rest of the message, uh, you know, demonstrating, I think, in the right way, like, you know, the the way that uh Vulcans process their emotions and that obviously he's interested to, to see like oh all this news about my family speaking of Tuvix and again <laughs> failure to realize greatness and we continually see Neelix and Tuvok joined at the hip and scenes the best example is Rise uh where Neelix finally gets Tuvok's respect here and a handful of other times. Tuvix was a thing. It happened and, and we can pretend it didn't all we want Voyager, but there was such such a juicy fucking storytelling opportunity in all of these scenes where Tuvok, who is the most proper and 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 uh, stoic and all that other stuff crewman on the ship and Neelix, who knows Tuvok better than Tuvok knows himself because they were the same person being able to call him out on his shit and say listen man I know you I know you care about this did I read the letter hell yeah I read the letter I care about your wife that was my wife too I care about your son that was my son like I'm invested in your shit man by like it or not (laughs) uh, embrace these people show that you care because I know you care I have given I I I mean we we can rewrite all of these scenes to be better using that logic from now until we finish the show. Cause you're right. That would be better for my own sanity. I have to have just given up and say, clearly they're just never going to acknowledge this. It was too bad shit. They, they walked away from it and I get that. What the reason why you're right though. Like how much more powerful this would these kind of scenes be if it was the dynamic the awkwardness with which that they have to deal with the fact that they know each other so intimately, the dynamic that these two oftentimes comedic characters could have in private, you know, obviously Tuvok's comedic values as a straight man, but like them alone behind closed doors could be completely different than anything resembling them out in public. Um, then there's the Tom Paris line plot line in this which is tom don't give a fuck versus harry who jesus christ harry shut the fuck up about your parent (laughs) halfway through the episode i'm sitting there hoping that harry has not gotten a letter yet uh 
because his parents fucking killed themselves out of grief that they lost their son and there's a tragic shit waiting for him. That's that's how sick Harry has made me of his family. So once again, here we are in season four and Harry Kim has no reason to exist. His entire character beat in this whole episode, which is otherwise marked with this depth for everyone else, right? Depth for Tom, depth for Tuvok, lots of depth for for Janeway and for Balana. But for Harry, it's that he wants to get a letter from his mom because he misses his mom. Because after four years, that's all we fucking know. Like, how is he not wanting a letter from his fiance? They don't have like, how uh, is it pen that, and paper that... in, in caves where she lived so he knows he won't be getting a letter from her it's it's we know harry kim is a fucking mama's boy that's it that's all we know and so that's all the writers have decided to put into this it's like not like oh you know all of my classmates all these people i were close to like he's fresh out of the academy there's all these people he spent four years with that he's probably close to like you know he could have here's something they could have done with harry kim oh i got letters they're from my my classmates in the academy. Oh, half of them are dead in the goddamn Dominion War. Holy shit, this is terrible. Like that that could have been what happened. Maybe getting like, stranded in the Delta Quadrant was such, wasn't such a bad idea after all. Hey, did you know that my second choice for placement after Voyager was the USS uh, I got blowed up in a Dominion conflict? Wow, what are the odds? Harry Kim's best part of this episode, I think, was where he shows up to pester Seven of Nine. Seven of Nine's been decoding all these transmissions uh, or, or cleaning it up so she could, you know, turn them into presentable formats for the crew members. He goes down to pester her about uh, where his letter from his mommy is. And instead, it's Torres down there. And man, does Bellana fucking lay into him about being like, yeah, look, Harry, you know, you're hot for her and just ride him hard on it. And unfortunately garrett wang is not up to the task of like acting to the same level that roxanne dawson is so she's there being just fucking stone cold laying out all this this uh salt and he's like yeah no it's fine she's she's attractive like she's he's just so terrible I, i disagree i thought he was pretty good in that interaction where she's teasing him and he's like Listen, you know, there was something in the beginning, but it's over now. And all I care about is mommy. <laughs> um, but he first serves as a foil to Paris, because whereas Harry is sweating these letters hard, Paris does not give a fuck and spends the majority of his time in his scenes with Harry pondering if what he is eating is corn mush or chicken. And uh, that's bad boy Tom. Bad boy Tom don't give a fuck. Bad boy Tom don't care about the Alpha Quadrant because it's uh it's just another prison and he's already been there and done that and he's happy where it is and it's of course uh, a facade it's it's Tom projecting um what he wants to be versus what he is and that is someone who is scared of the Alpha Quadrant and it you know that's what ties him to the Maquis and all this. The Federation sees these letters from home as something warm and wonderful. And I think the Maquis see it as a reminder that they've made some harsh choices in life, that they've got some some hurt 
and some hard decisions. And the closer they get back to the Alpha Quadrant, the less they're going to be a happy, you know, uniform crew and and potentially prisoners. And Tom has been able to use his opportunity in the Delta Quadrant to grow and become a better person. And when confronted with what he was back in the Alpha Quadrant, uh, his dad, in his mind, you know, is going to remind him that, hey, Tom, you're you're a piece of shit. You're a letdown and uh, you're a disappointment. So he gets into it with Balana, and Balana's like, look, man, at least you got a dad. Like, be happy. Give him a second chance. And he's like, no. And she's like, yes. Well, I, I, it's worth pointing out because I don't think we mentioned it. The letter that he's getting is from his father, who is Admiral Owen Paris. Uh, so Tom is clearly like a hundred percent a uh, was it legacy ad <laughs> to Starfleet? You know, uh, gives you a little bit more insight to his uh, very uh, hashtag uh, First World Federation problems perspective that he's laid out there. Sometimes, so is this supposed to be the uh, first time that we become aware of the fact that his dad was an admiral? Because I felt like it had already been established earlier. Yeah, we we know he was an admiral, but this is we we get him named like Admiral Owen Paris, and I'm actually happy to say we get to see him a lot. So, as I've mentioned in the future, some episodes actually take place in the Alpha Quadrant, and what we're gonna find is that they decide that they really want to lean on using him as a character, and I think it really helps bind the show together in a weird way. Uh, because, uh, you know, they're using these kind of connections to like, oh, look, we got to have the character be in charge of this effort to get Voyager home. Well, it's probably should be Tom's dad, right? Because he's an ad. He's got the juice. So, let's let's use him. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's really cool. Yeah. And what else is really cool is this is one of those rare gems of a episode as of late where it is. Tom and Balana alone in a room doing relationship stuff, and it isn't just making out um, for cheap sexual, you know, points. And it isn't them having the same fucking tired argument of you put up walls, let me in. It's it's a it's like Janeway getting dumped. It's real human stuff going on. It's stuff you can relate to. Um, and it's one of the better applications of their relationship in the greater scope of the, the show's picture. Yeah. Stevie said the exact same thing actually about that scene. It's like, wow, you know, they make it a kind of this real uh, identifiable thing that they're dealing with and it becomes much more mature and, and related. And it ties and into the fact that, it. uh, is like all fucked up cause she just found out that all of her dudes just got genocided. You know, and that is an impressive in and of itself because there's early seasons of or episodes of Voyager where it's like in the A plot, the environmental controls are going crazy and everybody's having to like pull off all their clothes because they're sweating their balls off. And in the B plot, people are just sitting around, you know, playing chess and and everything's fine. Like there's no continuity between storylines. And here uh, they weave together super well. So, again, credit where credit's due. Uh, Jerry Taylor. Nice job. Yeah, I I think that that wraps up. I think all of the the plot lines when it comes to the letters. Uh, yeah, Tom doesn't ultimately get his 
letter everybody else kind of does and uh you know the the lesson there is that tom is trying to get over his fear of of hearing from his father of course but the b plot i guess you'll call it is that uh seven of nine and tuvok hatch a plan to try and uh and solidify the the message package before it gets destabilized and to do that, they, they have to get close to the actual communication array that holds it. And what we find out when Voyager initially gets up close to it is that, A, as you mentioned, this is apparently 100,000 years old, which is that fucking Mass Effect 3 shit that we talked about last week really liking. And two, it's powered by them harnessing a quantum singularity, which is always the most like metal shit, like – Oh, there's a black hole in there. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> um, I, I think that the the punchline of it's powered by a black hole has kind of been dulled for me because, you know, all the Romulan warbirds run on quantum singularities, too. But when when warbirds blow up, they don't like suck four other ships into the event horizon of a black hole and 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 kill them all um yeah so these quantum singularities powering these sub these these massive relays they make it hard for big ships to get close and for them to get close enough to download the information out of the buffers on this relay they decide that they're going to send out a star uh, uh, a death cart in this case <laughs> Did you catch the shuttlecraft name? I didn't, but yeah, they send out a death cart. It's a it's the Cochrane two. <laughs> <laughs> Given the history of the Cochrane one, the Cochrane one was the ship from um, Threshold that Tom uh, breaks the the warp ten barrier and turns into a fish, uh, yeah, and, and possibly it, fucked his captain in and made and made possibly in. not, not yeah, possibly. almost certainly. Yeah, almost it, it happened. There's there's a there's a first officer's log. It happened. Um, which one did that blow up in? Whatever it blew up and they. But this shows that they're able to fabricate new shuttles, which I think is interesting. And I kind of excuses the 500 shuttles that they've already blown up before, even though Voyager only holds two. But uh, so they get out there in the shuttlecraft. Uh, Seven's kind of butthurt that she has to go out on this mission with uh, Tuvok. She thinks that Janeway is uh, harboring some resentment or does not fully trust her. And that's why she's making her take a partner. Again, this is one of those situations where it's like, if you've got a really tricky navigation thing, like shouldn't this be Tom flying the shuttle, but they got Tuvok in there. They got seven and nine. And, and uh, you know, the last time we had these two people in the same shuttlecraft, Seven beat the shit out of him by hiding in a corner back in Raven, which was enjoyable. Uh, but this time it's someone else beating the shit out of him. They get close to the Herogen relay and then they get uh, hit with some sort of ion cannon burst, which locks down the ship. They get knocked the fuck out and they wake up on the floor of one of the worst set pieces that we have seen in Voyager to date. So it's it's a super duper generic, I think almost a reuse of 
the uh, Kmart Klingon ship interior with like netting and you know it's kind of just gray and dull it's got a whole bunch of very plastic bones all over the place but <laughs> i will say though uh i love that tuvok and seven of nine uh come come to uh consciousness apparently tied up in some real fuck me daddy bdsm like restraints yes because they are they are super locked down <laughs> they're hogtied this set piece do you remember Q's are the old laser tag places? Yeah. It looks like if yeah! you took. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. OK. <laughs> it looks like I if you took a Q's are drained all the smoke out and then like uh, one of the the Halloween spirit Halloween stores opened up in there and just like threw a bunch of skeletons around the place like that's that's what it looks like. This thing looks janky as fuck. Uh, and that's where the episode really, unfortunately, falls in quality substantially because you've got all this really good interpersonal storytelling going on. And then you got this hokey ass alien menace. But they wake up on the floor. They're tied up. They're not secured to anything. And they're still alive, oddly. And while they're trying to figure out what the fuck's going on, um, the aforementioned Bane Scorpion Klingon or Bane Scorpion aliens come walking in. And I think ultimately my impression of the Herogen as an alien race would best be described as a predator's hillbilly cousin. <laughs> I think there's some inbreeding in play going on here. They got some real simplistic ass motives, which is to find unique things and kill them and take the bones out so you can mount it on the wall and, you know, maybe put the antlers on your space pickup truck. They talk kind of silly uh, and they, they bully each other pretty good. Um, we find out that uh, there's some other Herogen ships that are inbound, that there's supposed to be some sort of a coordinated hunt to take down Voyager as a whole. But there is dissent in the ranks of this specific Herogen ship that the head hillbilly in charge wants to be the only person with... Uh, with these skeleton trophies and he thinks that he is going to ruin the fun for the, if I, if I read the situation correctly, that he doesn't want Voyager to get attacked because it'll degrade the value of uh, what will become the skeletons he's pulling out of seven of nine and uh, Tuvok. So, so, you know, the whole race of hunters obsessed with trophies, you know, you see what they're setting up here. It's very clear. It's also they apparently love to just like choke things. So I imagine Tuvok really enjoys that part of their. Well, that's why they got him in the choke me daddy harnesses, right? Exactly. And really repeatedly the the alpha Herogen like just decides to start choking seven of nine. I think like three different times he goes over to do that. Live your dream. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Listen, go for it. If that's your fetish, you know, there's there's worse ones. Uh, But. Uh, the the end result here is that Janeway hatches a goofy plan to to jailbreak, uh, you know, Tuvok and Seven oh, Nine for this predicament. You're right. This <laughs> is a jailbreak episode, and a shuttlecraft gets destroyed. Wow. It's yeah, man. It's it's like why even count anymore? You know, why wow. why do it? Every episode this is, is a, a great episode. episode. This has got a little bit of everything. <laughs> 
It's got continuity. It's got space jail. And a shuttle named Cochrane blows up. It's, Again? This this club has everything. <laughs> Stefan would be pleased. So uh, the uh, the end result is that Janeway essentially fires some kind of special beam at of of MacGuffinness at the <laughs> relay station, and that is supposed to destabilize the uh, quantum singularity and force all of the ships to basically bargain with her to not die. Uh, they fail to do so and instead decide to shoot at Voyager, which causes it to destabilize further, which causes them to die. So, bit of a bit of a moves on Kathy's part there, you know. What a dick Heard move! A... <laughs> what a dick move! Not only did you completely cripple a fucking array of communication satellites older than you know your entire civilization almost, uh, and also cut off your only ability to communicate with your people at home. But you've also dragged, what, three or four ships of uh, the the native species off to a fate worse than death uh, black hole adventure. And uh, yeah, so about that Delta Quadrant next door score. <laughs> well, I mean, even Chakotay cracks wise about it. At the end of the episode, he's like recounting the day and he's like, you know, once again, we've, you know, narrowly avoided certain death, the hands of some bullshit in the Delta Quadrant. Oh, yeah, we met a new race of people that just want to fucking kill us. (laughs) Like it was a interesting moment where the ship where the show acknowledged like. Boy, this sure as hell happens to us a lot, doesn't it? We consistently almost die and make new enemies. That's just what we do here. We cut back to Harry Kim's uh, stupidest line. But why would anybody in the Delta Quadrant be unhappy with us? And and let's look at this series of events from uh, from a a bigger standard here, or from from a bigger picture, right? Voyager is is. St- forcing themselves into an alien civilization's computer network to hijack their hardware to accomplish their own ends. They say, hey, stop. We don't like what you're doing. You're you're abusing our technology. Do not do this. And Voyager's response is to force lightning them through the console, <laughs> courtesy to wharf this guy, courtesy of uh, Seven of Nine. And then... Uh, Voyager goes back looking for more, continues to fiddle around with this aliens technology. The aliens come out and they say, uh, hey, that's not cool. And they imprison the two offending parties, which granted, we are aware that they are going to cut their bones out and turn them into trophies, which is not cool. But I would still say Voyager's kind of the offending party here. And then Voyager's response. And also the 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 lead aliens like hey listen these guys are prisoners and uh we're going to basically execute them for you know reasons which are trespassing and other stuff even though our real reason is we're just hillbilly hunters but you guys should get the fuck out of here cuz we got ships coming and if those other ships show up we're going to hunt all of you guys down and Janeway's like no fuck that even though we've been kind of antagonizing this entire situation 
uh, we're just going to blow this goddamn thing up and create a black hole and kill everybody and shut down your entire civilization's primary communication method. Fuck you. So, <laughs> yeah, I, fuck. It's it's, it's like it's true. like if 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 a if an alien race came into the Federation was like, oh hey, we really like having sex with these replicators, and the Federation's like, can you please quit putting your dick in in the replicator? That's like really unsanitary. <laughs> and grow that's just, that's just and not then, cool can we not do that and then the alien race like while it's like humping the replicators like you know what no fuck you i'm gonna i'm gonna create a black hole i'm gonna i'm gonna kill a bunch of your people i'm gonna 9-11 you guys and they're like well what the fuck man you guys are some real dick aliens um yeah it, it, it interesting dynamics and uh yet again it's Jane, what you say before about we don't get to decide uh, who and how and when we want to observe local laws? Was, wasn't that a thing that just happened in random thoughts? Yes, that is correct. So uh, so Janeway's saying, you know, we don't get to pick and choose when we pay attention to local customs. We always have to, you know, accept when fuck it, we're going. So, I mean, that's basically the end of the episode. You know, they suck the Herogen into the the singularity they managed to escape voyagers intact but you know they kind of like take stock of the situation and they got contact from home it's the first like tantalizing bit of that they've ever gotten but they won't be able to do it again because they burn out the whole communication network hundred thousand year old communication network with their shenanigans so good job there and you know they didn't get good news you know so they got Dear John letters and noticed that all their fucking friends were dead. And, you know, it isn't what they hoped it would be. You know, it wasn't what they dreamed it would be. Instead, it's reality is setting in. And they still try and, you know, scavenge for the hope that they can out of it. Particularly Chakotay in his hope of uh, putting his D in, in, in Janeway's V some point in the future. Because like you but. said, while Voyager is still intact... Uh, Captain Janeway's engagement is not. And and the scene we are, quote unquote, treated to at the end with Chakotay trying to circle in for the kill. <laughs> Cringe, man. <laughs> if, if, in case you forgot about uh, Lame House on the Prairie, that was a thing. And 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 he's back. All he's missing here is his uh, his fedora. Well, I think that wraps our discussion in this particular episode, my friend. What do we have next week? Coming up next. Season four, episode 16, Prey. And uh, looks like Tuvok, maybe, and Sound of a Nine. And they're in the first contact space suits. Helping a wounded Herogen, Janeway finds that his prey, a member of species 8472, has boarded Voyager. So we continue down this path, but now we got to bring in the space Mewtwo's. Imagine you uh, can't wait for that. Uh, I I hate the space Mewtwo's, but I like self-referential episodes. And, you know, as we found out with Chakotay's religion, like certain parts of Voyager are terrible when they are the central focus of an episode. Um. But I got to admit, I'm interested to see how 8472 is going to behave now that, you know, it's not the primary driving force of an episode. 
right so. then. Well, thank you once again to everybody listening to us here at Vigor Please, the April Voyage for the Delta Quadrant. We appreciate anything that you do to spread the word of our uh, snarky gospel when it comes to the reviewing Star Trek Voyager. If you want to give us a like or a share on social media, whether that be Facebook or Twitter or Reddit or something like that, or give us a review in one of the many places uh, our podcast can be found across the Internet to or even subscribe to us on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Vigor, please. Whatever most you do. importantly, just tell a friend you think would enjoy it. Find one of your yeah. friends that's into Star Trek or into hating on Star Trek and uh, and make them listen to us and, and bring someone who's going to take something out of this into the fold. Suffering is best done in groups. Absolutely. And, and as we alluded to, the winner of our poll of what the special Patreon uh, episode will be is that we will be reviewing the TNG porn parody uh, as a special gift. We're going to release that to our patrons first. They'll probably have exclusivity over it for like a month and they'll get to enjoy it. And then after that, we'll release it to everybody. So if you want to get in on that, you'll have plenty of opportunity to do so. And, you know, we're going to we uh, Peter's got some real life stuff coming up. We'll 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 definitely get that in sooner rather than later, though. So don't worry. Uh, so until next time, this has been Major Please, a hateful voyage for the Delta Quadrant. See you soon. <laughs>